Can learning transform your life? This is Impact Learning with Maria Zinedou, a podcast where you will hear personal stories about how we learn, work, and live in the connection economy. Together with her guests, she will teach you to design your learning journey and create the life you want. On today's episode, part of the work that I do is to help shake up and create tension and to help uh, uh, shake up the perspective and create some colliding perspectives of our learners um, in terms of how they go about their work and why they go about it in, you know, in a, in a certain way and help set up a, a perspective of challenge and support so that way they can become better leaders themselves. Hey, it's Maria and you are listening to Impact Learning. Today I talk with Travis Wilson, who's had extensive experience in leadership and organization development, executive coaching, and learning program management. I first met Travis as a coach at the Marketing Seminar, an online workshop designed by Seth Godin. Travis has a very diverse professional career journey through academia, corporate, private sector, and online learning and has worked with college students and senior level professionals. Together we unpack his learning and development journey as we dive into the decisions that have shaped him into the educator and coach that he is today. Whether you are a student or a professional, our conversation will teach you how to develop essential skills for the future of work and continue to repurpose them throughout your career. Let's dive right in. Welcome to Impact Learning, Travis. It's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you. Happy to be here. I want to start with my favorite question. What is something that you learned as a kid that you are proud of? That's a great question. I grew up in the Midwest in Iowa. And something that I learned as a child that I think is, is was the most impactful to me is the importance of treating others with respect and kindness. And that was something that my that my uh, that my parents uh, uh, taught me at a very at a very early age. And the way in which, when you work to connect with with people, particularly those that might be different from you, the the greatness that comes from it and the strength of the relationship is, is such a powerful thing. And there's there's really nothing like that. And working where I am now and doing what I do now. I try very intentionally to make strong connections with my my learners, with my leaders, and with everyone that I'm uh, engaging with in some way in order to uh, help make my learning experience better and make their learning experience better as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, how was learning and education uh, at home in your family? What was the thinking about learning? That's that's a really interesting question too because. My my father graduated high school. My mother graduated high school and did a little bit of of trade business school. But I'm I was a first generation college student, and I went into the world of higher education in some ways very lost. It was important because I knew intellectually and cognitively it was important, but I didn't have the context or the grounding. I feel to really root home to me, like the importance of education. So what I learned is that just knowing in some ways that that kind of the the cognitive, this is, you know, this is important. There was never necessarily a question for me whether or not I was going to 
progress in, in higher education. And, and I did, you know, I went and got my undergraduate degree and then eventually I went and got my master's degree as well. So education was, it was an important thing, but it didn't quite have the, the context I feel that it would have had if both of my parents were college graduates themselves. Mm -hmm. What did you want to do? Like going into college, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do when you grow up? Right. Yeah. Um, I did and I didn't. I I went into undergrad wanting to be a stockbroker and I didn't necessarily knew what that meant. Um, a, a lot of my my idea of of going into business was influenced, frankly, by by television or, you know, or movies. Stockbrokers, you know, bought stocks and they were an intermediary between a, a purchaser and, a, a, you know, a company to help somebody, you know, make money and become, uh, become financially successful. And so uh, I eventually did not get into that. And thank goodness I didn't because there's uh, <laughs> no offense to any stockbrokers out there, but just uh, with, uh, with online trading, um, they're kind of a moot point. Um, my life, my career path was not very, very linear. I didn't have that kind of straight arrow, I'm going to be going in this particular direction type of, uh, type of career path. Where I eventually settled was in a creative endeavor, and that was film. So I graduated with my, I graduated with my bachelor's degree in film from the, from the University of Iowa, um, particularly a film production, film criticism. And what inspired you? Why were you interested in film production in this kind of field? creativity the way in which you you had no choice if you will but other than to be to be creative and to make new and real and and different uh, uh connections between yourself and the material and and society and the, all of these different uh mediums that you know that we live in and i have to really credit my background in film to helping free me up as as a creative individual I had, Maria, I had this rule in my head that, and I think part of this might have had to do with, with uh, the, the education and background with which I was raised, that when a filmmaker made a film, okay, when Citizen, you know, Citizen Kane or something, there was an answer to it. There was a direct intent that you had to, almost like a secret code or message that you had to decode that the director intended you to to get and there was the answer and it was in one of my first film criticism classes where my mind was opened up to the the relationship between the individual and the art and maybe this was something that was introduced to me earlier and i didn't quite make the connection on or whatever but sitting uh in a film criticism film theory discussion class and listening to the ta talk and how when a piece of art goes out into the world, it's no longer your art as the artist. It's the, it's the art for everyone. Mm -hmm. That just blew my, you know, that blew my mind. And it freed me up in order to look at the world in, in, in different ways to not quite stress and sweat something that was, you know, didn't quite understand. And it was taking that posture and that perspective that helped move me into new directions as a creative and, you know, ultimately had me be pretty successful in school as well. Mm -hmm. Would you say that this was also a, a thinking around connecting with the world or, or everything around us beyond our specific work? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. And it's funny because I think that some of the seeds that were planted in my higher education experience, experience and this would be true for anyone, will carry themselves out throughout different, you know, different aspects of, of my, you know, of our 
careers, in my career, the way in which we engage with the world, the way in which we, we take a look at the world and uh, make determinations over, you know, right and wrong. And, you know, and then in more deeper ways, like what resonates with our values and what doesn't resonate with our values, the senses of justice and equality and fairness, uh, you know, really started forming uh, during, you know, during this time. Uh, and the way in which you can be in the world and live harmoniously with others and live harmoniously with ourselves despite paradoxes, despite disagreements, despite uh, a lot of the subjective experience that, that we all create uh, around ourselves. That was really the, 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 the firm rooting in that belief and in that, uh, that mindset that I think has carried me to where I am right now. That's beautiful. So what did you do after you graduated from the University of Iowa? Well, after I graduated, um, I wasn't interested in moving to a coast, particularly the West Coast, which is where the film industry is, uh, you know, huge. I mean, a little different now, I mean, with uh, what's going on in Canada and uh, North Carolina and Atlanta. But I decided to move to Chicago. I got an internship at a, at a film production company. Uh, I also was a production assistant on a small independent film that never quite got distribution, but I do have a DVD of it. And uh, I was the production assistant. I was uh, a grip. I think I was even in a couple, <laughs> a couple of scenes. They needed, you know, man standing in line or man at scene of accident. And so, believe me, I, I, I don't have insurance or uh, uh, my Screen Actors Guild card. But uh, I was able to uh, to take part in some of uh, and take part in some of that. Um, and then I, I eventually decided to uh, to leave film because I became less enamored with the production aspects of it, which kind of sent me on a on a new journey in terms of who am I and who do I want to help. And through some self-exploration, through some encounters, through reaching out to even to complete strangers, I started finding a home in higher education. And so after I, I moved to Chicago, left the film industry, I then went uh, and got my master's degree in education and social policy at Northwestern. Okay, let's, this is now an interesting transition. Mm -hmm. So you said that you talked with some other people. How, and it was a self-explanatory process, which I, yes. I can understand. Take us a little bit like through... What did you do? Did you reach to specific people? How did you go about that before you decided, okay, now I want to study education? I explored the idea of being a college guidance counselor because my, my frame of reference was to help someone on their way. And I thought, well, who can I best help? And then I thought, well, I could best help high school students, help them try to figure out their lives. And then it occurred to me that I would then have to help high school students. And do I really have the energy to help out, you know, to help out high school students or what I want to engage with people that might have been a little bit more formative in their in their thinking or more advanced in their thinking, which then led me to think about colleges, higher, edu higher education. And I got this idea in my head of being an academic advisor. So this is literally what I did is I reached out to an academic advisor at Northwestern found his name, found his email address online, and I basically just sent him an email and said, how, how did you get to do what you do? What do you do? Um, a little, you know, would you be willing to do an informational interview with me? And that's, I've never, I've never had a problem uh, connecting with people. I've never necessarily had a problem reaching out to people as, as well. And so I figured, Hey, the, the worst that, I, that could be told to me is, you know, nothing. I could hear nothing back or don't have time, not interested in talking with you. But the person that I spoke with was very gracious. And so I literally had an informational interview with him at, uh, at Northwestern's campus. And he talked to me about 
you know, master's degree programs in higher education administration. And, you know, learning that, I then went uh, and applied to two schools in the, in the Chicago area, and I got into Northwestern, and that's where I decided to matriculate. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that, because we, we often feel stuck, stuck yeah. in a way that, you know, we don't really know exactly what the next step is or what the next path is. And what you talked about is a beautiful example of, okay, maybe I can ask someone else who does what I want to, to do. And you could it could be that you found out that um, what they are doing is not exactly what you like doing. That's another thing that can happen. Or you can get, you know, some guidance and direction and information of this is how you could go about, you know, this path. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is the power of, of our connection economy now. That's the power of, of the internet. It, it's, it wouldn't, it would, that wouldn't be to say that it would be impossible you know, before that time, but this is definitely at the early stages yeah. of the internet. And, and just having the, the guts, the grit, the moxie, or what, what have you to, you know, to do the, the reach out is I think is such an important, you know, critical leadership skill because we don't, don't know everything. We don't have all the, all of the answers. And I believe we're as strong as leaders as we are as we're as strong as our community. Mm-hmm. That's been a real, very powerful ha- aha for me and my, my leading leadership learning journey is have a, having a strong network around you in order to, to create connections, to create those contrasting thoughts uh, in order to help support and question and, and help be with you on the way um, as you're continuing to grow. And after you finish uh, your master's, uh, you start as a residence life coordinator. What did you do within this role? Oh, wow. Um, residence life. Uh, Maria, there's a special place in heaven for residence life folks. These are the ones <laughs> who in the residence halls of, uh, uh, or as they were formerly known, dormitories, these are the ones who oversee the uh, the RAs, the resident advisors, or the essays, um, as was the case with uh, my experience, the student advisors. And the student advisors are you know, it varies campus by campus what their what their role is. I mean, they are they are really community champions and leaders in uh, helping to create the residence halls intentionally as a place of living and and learning to help reinforce the the curricular dimensions of the college or university experience. So I had a I had a staff. I think it was like fifteen or sixteen uh, student advisors helping them with, with programming and being champions for them and all of the great work that they're doing uh, to make the college experience uh, wonderful for, you know, for their residents, hopefully inspiring other students to become uh, resident advisors or student advisors uh, themselves. And I did that for three years at, uh, at Grinnell College, and then I moved on to uh, St. Louis University where I did that for about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. What were the I guess the big learnings for you and what skills did you develop during this this kind of role? Oh wow. Um I learned that if the students are okay, everything is okay. And I I had some incredibly formative formative experiences as I became an intermediary but also a champion for students to take better care of themselves. Um their their mental health and, and their physical health as well. I, I've had to have some incredibly difficult conversations with, with students with, uh, with eating disorders, um, students with suicidal thoughts and behaviors and ideations, everything from just being in a very bad place and thinking about it to undergoing just severe stress or depression or, or incredible mental health issues where I would intervene and get them the resources and, and help, that, uh, help that they needed. Um, 
I learned patience. I learned listening. I learned how what it means to be direct with someone, but also be on the on on their side as well, um, and to kind of use that what I learned as a child of, of being uh, treating people with with kindness and and respect and with a degree a degree of empathy. That was something that I really had to lean into in in a role like this. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine. And you are now fresh out of school, right? So you don't have all this experience, but. I can I can see how this can be challenging, but also very transformational. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that that uh, uh, the degree of training that I got. I don't know if there's ever a degree of training that can fully prepare you for you know for the experience. Um, one you know I I think of one weekend in particular, one formative weekend where I had an alcohol overdose. Um, I had a I had a group of students that completely trashed a student lounge. I had one who was you know, very distraught over a, a breakup. Uh, and I had a student who um, had cut herself up and down her wrists, like superficial, uh, uh, superficial cuts, just because of the distress. And when you are in, in a moment like that, and when you're only, when your, your mindset and your only focus is the, the health of the student, the safety and well-being of, of the student, at least it was for me, I just had no choice but to show up and try to rise to that occasion. And there were things that I, you know, things that I felt I did really, really well. There are things that I, I'm like, oh, I could really, you know, I, I could really improve on these particular skills or the way in which I, uh, I you know, I go about things. But uh, definitely jumping into the pool and learning to swim um, while you're in the water. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing. This is wonderful experience. You're welcome. Then you move to uh, St. Louis, where yes. you become a training and development specialist. So the focus yes. of the work changes quite a bit. Tell us, tell us about this role. Very, very different. So I was, I was getting near the end of my time and and my interest in uh, in this particular aspect of developing others and working in working in residence life. And I noticed an opening at the university as a training and development specialist. Now, if I had the context, or if I had the knowledge, Maria to create a, a connection or causal map, I don't know if that's really the right word, as to whether or not I should apply for this role, I probably wouldn't have because I would have pigeonholed that role as saying, oh, this is for somebody with an HR background or, oh, this is somebody for, for this particular background. But what I did looking at, you know, with my film degree and with my work in higher education, I said, well, you know what? Training and development special. I've been training and developing student staffs for you know for years. I'm working presentations, doing exper- experiential learning, um, action learning, taking failures and 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 helping students reframe them. Uh, you know, doing without even knowing I was doing it. Um, a degree of coaching as well. So when I really started to think about the the role and what I'd been doing, I'm like, you know, I really I've been doing this, and I think I might have a have a shot for it. So uh, I applied for the role. Uh, got the interview. Interview went fine. Didn't really hear anything back, I think, for about a week. And then uh, I did hear back and they said, uh, I'd like for you to do a presentation. And so I put together a presentation. And this was in the advent of the PowerPoint clickers. Yes. Those were a new thing back, you know, those were a new thing back in the day. And let me tell you, talk about preparation. I prepared the hell out of this out of this presentation. And there's like a billion different ways I would have done it differently now. But just the fact that I was so well prepared, I had my mental palace built, I had all of my beats, I kind of prepared for it like a, in some ways, like a vaudeville act or a comedian or like some of the other great thought leaders that you and I both know uh, um, now. Mm-hmm. But it was in addition to that, prepar- that preparation, knowing my content so well, and then having this kind of tool device, should I say gimmick, 
So when I gave a presentation, I wasn't having to go back to the computer and click the slides, you know, over and over. I could keep my beats going with the and use use the clicker, which again is not a an interesting thing right now. And I just I had my audience eating out of the palm of my hand. And that was one of that was one of those uh, those interviews where I I left it and I said to myself, I feel like I'm on top of the world right now. And if I don't get this, this job, that's okay. Because there's absolutely no way that I could have done better. And I wish that feeling for anybody applying for any role or putting themselves out there in, in any way is just that, that kind of feeling. And it turns out that I, I got it. I landed it and I got the role and I stayed there for about two years. Mm-hmm. Was there anything in this role while you were you know, doing it? Was there anything that surprised you that you did not expect? Um, I moved into a role that where I had one particular demographic that that was college students. I was working on the development and formation of college students. I then moved into a role where I was working on the development and formation of professionals, you know, within a, uh, within a university environment, the needs are the same. And that was both a surprise and, and not a surprise as well. The, the developmental needs are the same, the, the, you know, the wants, the, 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 the desires, the frustrations, the successes, the, the failures, they're very, very similar. They're very, very, very similar. And so I felt that I was able to, with some, uh, with some charisma, with some creativity, with some, some tools that I learned and, with, and a willingness to learn, to learn other tools, I was willing to come into this, uh, this, position with a fresh perspective with uh, uh, not quite the same orientation that somebody perhaps with a degree in human resources uh, or training and development would have would have had and create some experiences that created ahas some perspective clashes and created movement in folks who are really bought into the process mm-hmm. very good and uh When you move now next, you become a director of career services. Is that a similar role or did you have to repurpose your skills and start uh, working on something different? Really good question because I feel that moving moving into into that role, there was still a lot of the similarities. So I moved up, I was sitting next to a young lady in Illinois when she opened her match day envelope and it said, congratulations, you're going to be a resident at Mayo Clinic. And I said, "Well, I guess I'm moving to Minnesota, and that's where this role, <laughs> that's where this role um, um, started. Was uh, a, a small uh, career school in in Minnesota. And and mind you, Maria, I've I've told friends that I could never see a flake of snow the rest of my life and be a very happy person. And I'm moving to where snow goes to party. And uh, the similarities in there is the individuals at this career school were were very focused on a a career education, and it was my role." to help them find jobs in, in their field. The thrust of the development work that I was doing with them was, uh, there were a couple things. Number one, it was to help, helping them develop like business and professional acumen because many of, our, of the students might've been working in gas stations or convenience stores. They may have been working in, in janitorial jobs. And so they came to this, uh, this career school in order to learn a particular set of technical skills in order to enhance their, you know, enhance their lives and get into a, to different jobs. Um, my, so my role was to, to help them with how to present themselves in a way in which that they would be standout candidates as well as working on some of those real skills 
which some people would call soft skills, some of those, those real skills in order to help project themselves as people who work well on teams, people who uh, are, are willing to take initiative, people who are willing to approach their work with a, with a, a degree of thoughtfulness and, and care and rigor and grit to help be the standouts. And so that was, that was the thrust of my work. And, and it was in that second part is I really found uh, uh, a place that resonated with me. Very nice. The lady that you mentioned, is that your wife? Yes, <laughs> currently my wife. We've been married. Uh, we've been married ten years, and I was, uh, as I was saying before we got on the call here, we have uh, three little boys: um, uh, a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and uh, our youngest just turned one a couple of weeks ago. Very nice. Thank you. So you made this change that, that you yeah. you went basically you together you moved to Minnesota. Okay, so now this is all what I call the your experience or part of your journey. Uh, directly in academia or academic uh, academic kind of environment. Mm-hmm. And then you make a little different decision because now you, you join the learning and development at Mayo Clinic, yeah. which is from academia to industry and healthcare. How did this come about and... What, what were you thinking? <laughs> well, and what, well what, I w- what I was thinking is I... It was time for me to to leave higher education. I, I'd experienced a, a higher education environment of a small liberal arts college, a medium sized university, a small a small career school, and I think it's just the dynamic nature of of ourselves and and who we want to serve and and how we want to serve them. And it was it was time for me to find a new population to serve. And you know, Mayo Clinic is one of the biggest employers, if not the biggest employer in, you know, in Rochester, uh, directly and, and indirectly. I mean, it's the industry in the town. Mm-hmm. And so what I wanted to do is, you know, challenge myself and, and challenge my skills in order to see how well it translates to the audience of some, you know, incredibly talented administrators and some of the most brilliant physician researcher minds on, you know, on the planet. So I started my career working in their college of education, helping to, um, implement a new, actually it was a new student record system for the college, college of education. But I really had my eye on their leadership and organizational development uh, uh, department. So while, while I was finishing up my time at the small career school, I took part in a coach development program. Uh, through Coach, Coaches Training Institute, CTI, to really help me dial in inter, uh, on my my posture and increase my sophistication and repertoire as as a coach. And that was, it was an incredibly powerful experience. I learned, you, you go into experience like that thinking that you know a lot about listening and thinking that you know about, you know, holding space for, for someone, but their, their model and their, uh, the environment that they, they created just, just really helped me hone in and dial in on on this this practice uh, and way of being of of coaching, which helped land me into a role uh, um, as a coach and as a facilitator and workshop designer uh, in the leadership and organization development space at uh, at Mayo Clinic. And I, wow, for for five years I was working with some of the best in, in the world, both in terms of my colleagues and in terms of uh, uh, the leaders that I was, that, that I was serving. I was taking part in different initiatives, everything from patient quality and, and, and workplace safety to stress management and resiliency training with one of the most brilliant uh, uh, thinkers uh, and researchers in stress management and resiliency um, in the world. And it was, it was such a wonderful experience. 
So what I what I hear now is that you joined again. You changed from higher education to uh, industry. Yeah. You you start with like let's say a, a role and responsibilities that's um, based on what you've done before. Then you do your uh, coaching uh, training, and now you start creating and building new skills and start creating a different kind of work for you. Right. How did you? Um, decide to take the coaching training was that part of your job or did you pursue that on your own i decided to pursue that on my own actually it was completely self-financed and a part of me thought you know there's something about being directly across from from an individual and being in a space of honest vulnerability where fears can be lived assessed, decided upon. What do I really want to do? And what are, what are those barriers? And more often than not, the barriers, you know, as you know, are the ones that are with, you know, within our head. And mm-hmm. to really be a, I, I've used this word a couple of times in our interview here, but really embody that idea of being a champion for someone, whether you have to be uh, whether you have to help them reframe a situation, whether you have to help them dig into uh, uh, the the goodness of their of their circumstances and use that as a power to help propel them forward, whether you have to be very direct and what I call be in your face but on your side uh, to not make them do anything and to not you know or co- or or, or coer- there's nothing coercive about it but but it's a, just a a way in which to be in a relationship with, with with somebody to help them experience goodness and whatever it is that they want to do to help move themselves forward and so doing that was i feel it was definitely a a pinnacle and a highlight of my career as somebody and let me put it this way, it's part of my formation of somebody who is looking to develop leaders and leaders who lead mm-hmm. with intention, leaders who lead, lead with conviction, leaders who are helping to make the, the place better than it was when they got there and help others see the greatness and the, and the magnificence in the work that they do. Mm-hmm. As I'm taking a, a pause here because everything that I've heard so far, Travis, although you've you had within your roles and different kind of um, responsibilities, you built courses, you designed workshops and learning and development programs. But I hear like over and again, like the focus you have on people, on like the personal journey, on what each person has in their head or experiences in their life. And of course, all that affects their work and everything and their studies and everything. But I hear a lot of like more focus on the person and the leader than I hear on the on the tool, what I call the courses, the workshops, the programs we develop. Is that is that a fair, I guess, assessment of how I'm understanding you? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I didn't really have a, a firm understanding of psychographics when I was when I was doing the work that I was doing, but I did notice that there, there were some people who were just really strongly connecting with, with, you know, the, the work that I, that I was doing. And there were some, you know, that just weren't quite feeling it. What I learned is that first of all, people like to be pushed. They like to be held to a, a higher vision for themselves even that they see for themselves. And, and I'm, I made the decision that if I can push people toward that, that higher vision for themselves, that I was going to be doing something right. Uh, number two, I learned that it's okay to be 
rejected or it's okay to be told you're not for me and that's all right. Um, I, I actually I have an experience when I, I was doing I was doing some coaching with someone. And we were doing we were doing kind of peer coaching where we made we we had this arrangement for for ourselves where uh, you know he would coach me on a problem and give me you know and practice and I would give him feedback and then I would coach him on whatever was on his mind and he would practice and he would practice with me and give me feedback. So I was coaching him, Maria, and he was telling me about his partner and how how wonderful his partner is and how how incredible his partner is and how his partner is just meets all of his needs and how in love he is with his partner and just going on and on and have you ever had that experience where your bullcrapometer is just going off the charts you're like there's something going on here that is not it's not being told yeah and that's what was going on for me and i i i finally blurted out to him i said you know i could be wrong about this but i don't think that things are going as well with you and your partner as, as you're telling me. I feel like there's something underneath that, uh, that you're refraining from sharing. And I want you to step into that place to be able to really share that with me if I'm right. And there was a dead silence. And then finally he said, uh, well, you know, there are some things that are bothering me. And then we started really connecting. We started really engaging in, in, in this moment and processing what was really what was going on and, and his needs versus the needs of his, of his partner. We were having a really beautiful and rich dialogue. Well, so we end our coaching session, you know, hang up the phone. And again, I'm having one of those walking on sunshine kind of moments. Like, wow, I really coached and we really got there. And they, I got an email from that individual, uh, Maria, that night that said, you know what? I think I'm done coaching with you. I think we're done with our coaching arrangement and our coaching relationship. And I said to myself, oh, okay. I, I probably went somewhere where he wasn't interested in going and, and, and that's all right. So getting back to your original question in terms of, uh, in terms of making it about, about the person, you know, absolutely. You, you know, you're definitely making it about the person. You're helping them understand like how you help and why you help them and, and what you see in them and becoming again that champion for them of, of who they want to be. It might not always work. It might not always be what it is that they're looking for, and that's okay. But I found that that as I've as I've gone about my work, you know, doing the you know doing the work the work that I do, that psychographic profile, um, and uh, you know, dare I say, persona of the of the person that I, I'm doing my my best work for. I can work with those that might not necessarily fall into that you know into that persona, but there's such power and there's such a a, a great outcome that comes from just focusing on that person and helping to, uh, to build them up and get them, uh, helping them get themselves where they want to go. Yeah. But also so, so up in a way based on what, you know, the, the, the example you shared, so up in a way that, uh, you show them what else is possible. It's up to them, yeah. you know, like create what I call the tension, right? Create tension so they can, if they want, they can lean into the tension and figure out how to move forward or not. Or it could be that the time, you know, the stage of their journey or the timing, is they are not ready yet, maybe later. But showing up in this way, I think it's a beautiful way of showing that you care, but also taking an action. I, I love that you said that. And, and you use one of my favorite words, which is tension. And when I describe leadership, like leadership development professionals, people who do the, the work that I do, uh, typically as a part, you know, either 
within an organization and the HR function, and there's there are other you know there are leaders who who do this you know outside of that that function. But the formal leadership development professionals that you see with that you know inside inside an organization and people that are there to develop leaders, I don't see Maria how you can develop a leader without managing tension. Yeah. The tension between who I am and who I want to be, the the tension in terms of the different, you know, uh, 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 status roles and the and the different uh, levels of prominence um, in terms of how you want to show up and how you want to be. That's all. That's all tension and a firm rooting and understanding of that. I think is absolutely critical to develop to develop uh, the leaders that we're going to need for the future. You're right. So now I'm thinking a little bit more like of learning and development, like what yeah. we learn and like ourselves, but also what we help others learn and develop themselves. I think tension is one of the tension and empathy that you also talked about, right? And for me, tension and empathy are like the two two ways, the two wheels I have, and I I try to balance. So tension and empathy are beautiful tools for our learning and development journey for ourselves and then for others, if we are in this kind of role like you are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's it. That's the empathy, empathy towards, uh, you know, those who do they see what I do they see what I see? Do they want what I want? Need what I need? uh, Believe what what I believe. And my my understanding of empathy has just been enhanced throughout my own leadership journey. And it's, it's, uh, again, that is a very powerful, you know, powerful tool as well. So that way, you're not, you're not trying to sell steak to a, a group of vegans. (laughs) <laughs> it's not, it's just not going to, you know, it, it, it's, it's the wrong audience. It's, it's, it, so it's not right for you and it's not right. It's not right for them. But, uh, uh, so that way you get in front of the, uh, that audience where you're going to do your best work and be empathetic to the fact that, yeah, this isn't what, what I'm doing just isn't for them. Uh, now you, we are still discussing your career, your journey, yes. uh, again, in like industry and uh, uh, still you're working in that kind of what I call system or environment, but uh, some different things you are pursuing, um, which is your private coaching, your career coaching service, and also you are getting involved in online uh, education, in the Akimbo workshops that you also serve as coach. So how now, because now these are decisions that people don't make very often. So that's quite, to me, that's like a hybrid approach. And I'm trying to see how you, how you start exploring your own career, your own career coaching practice first, and then how you get into the online coaching. Mm -hmm. So let's take the the private uh, coaching practice first. Well, yeah, absolutely. So, so, um, so career coaching was my way of enhancing my repertoire and enhancing my sophistication of of my coaching practice and my leadership development practice because uh whereas when i was at mayo clinic i was i was coaching uh you know physician scientists um in some cases some administrators as well there were other individuals with the same psychographic needs that were outside of that environment people all across the world that i was doing coaching work with um it felt natural. It felt very, uh, uh, just a great way both to help others as well as to create a, a avenue of increased learning and, uh, leaning into those different things that I feel that are important to help develop, to help develop others. And so the, the private coaching practice was just a wonderful way to be able to do that. Something that I, you know, something I really enjoyed and, uh, and continue to enjoy. I don't do it quite so much anymore with uh, family obligations and other mm-hmm. work obligations, but we can talk about that um, in a second here. And then in terms of the, that 
that kind of second part in terms of the online learning. So we left Minnesota and we're, we now are, are settled in, in St. Louis. My wife is a, a academic physician at a, a research university here. And Seth uh, Godin, who you and I both know, started uh, a new one, uh, what the first of what would eventually become his uh, Akimbo workshops. Well, if you don't count, count the Alt MBA, but um, his first online workshop uh, using discourse as a medium, and that was the marketing seminar. Mm-hmm. It was the second to last day. I was like, oh, should I do this? Should I not do this? And it was really my wife who just kind of chided me like, listen, you really believe in the thought leader. You believe in this work. Why don't you just jump in and give it a try? And so I said, okay, I did. And we had two children at the time. And I would, I would wake up about 3, 3.30 in the morning, try to get to bed early, 3, 3.30 in the morning. I would brew some coffee and I would just do the lessons and I would just show up and, and do the work. Well, what happened is just being in contact with the, uh, the coordinator of the, of the marketing seminar at the time, the wonderful Maya Lim. And uh, uh, just asking, I just had some like logistical questions about the workshop. Um, I somehow got in front of Seth and Seth contacted me and said, you know what, the, the work that you're doing here, the, the, from what I'm reading and, and the posture that you're, that you're um, embodying here is just what I would want to see as a coach for, I use the word posture a lot. Um, yeah. what, what, you're doing, what you're doing here is exactly what we would want to see in a coach. We're thinking about introducing coaches into the second marketing seminar. Would you be interested? I don't even know what to tell you about this, Maria. I just, other than I felt like I was a, a, a high school basketball player and LeBron James said, Hey, will you come and play basketball? You know, come play basketball with us or being a, a novice film director and being, and being asked by Steven Spielberg to come, you know, help make a movie with him. I yeah. immediately said yes. And Got in contact with uh, got in contact with him, and we made the arrangements. And so I've been connected with the Akimbo Coach community um, ever since. And just watching its evolution is just it's just nothing short of spectacular. I mean, moving from the marketing seminar and and uh, you know the all MBA notwithstanding, the marketing seminar, and then the mm-hmm. freelancers workshop and the bootstrappers workshop, and you know what we have now, the business of food and uh, the creative uh, uh, the creative workshop um, is uh, is uh, not launching today, but uh, I think registration is opening today. Um, it, it's it, it's it's such an incredible evolution of of his work and the way in which he reaches others, and mm-hmm. the creation of just a fantastic ecosystem that I feel so honored to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And you and I met at the marketing seminar. I That's was, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, you were a coach, <laughs> and thank you very much for your service and for the attention and for the empathy for everything. So uh, you have been coaching, supporting, guiding, lead, you know, leading, developing students, professionals uh, in different settings. How different is coaching on an online uh, workshop? That's a great question. And it may surprise some people, but it's not that different. It's not that different. You show up with empathy toward the student. You try to just as just as if you were hearing a coaching client talk with you about what was on their mind uh, successes or failures challenges areas to to develop there's always an underneath and and Seth told me this himself he said if he goes whenever you're encountering resistance look for the fear Look for a fear because there's always a fear there. And then another thing that a, a different master coach uh, shared with me uh, once early in my formal coaching training career is whenever somebody is 
talking to you. And I would even say too, uh, um, coaching in an online workshop as well, because they're, they're talking with their fingers is what does this person want me to know about them? Have that question in the back of your mind. What does this person want me to know about them? And so when you look at the content of, of their words, when you feel the, the, the energy and, and look for the underneath of, of what it is that, that you see there, it's, it's not that, that difficult to maintain that, that great co- coach energy and to be able to, I'll say it again, champion them in, which, in the way in which they, they, want, they want to be championed. And it's, you know, you could be, you could always be wrong, whether you're, you're interacting with a client one-on-one and hearing their voice or whether you're interacting with them through, through a keyboard. You could, I mean, you could always be wrong, but what, what we've learned, Maria, and, and what great coaches know, and, and I'm sure people like you know, is that even if you're wrong, there's something that is loosened up by blurting your intuition, by, by sensing what the underneath is. And, and with courage and conviction and empathy and caring for that other individual, expressing that. Mm-hmm. And there, there have been a couple of times where, where I found myself, you know, making a comment being like, you know, it, this is kind of how this is feeling for me. What do you think? And they would be like, no, but what I'm thinking instead is X, Y, or Z, or you know what, Travis, you, you completely nailed it. I've been, mm-hmm. I've been short shifting myself or short shifting myself. I've been, I've been working it from a place from fear. I want to now talk about a little different topic. So for learners, we are all learners, whether we are employees, you know, whether we are entrepreneurs and participate in different programs. So if I'm a learner and I'm in a corporation or a business and I use, I go through the programs and the different, I guess, courses, how is this experience different than what we have maybe in an online community-based learning program? Because you have experienced both of them. So I'd like to get your thoughts. Being a coach in the uh, Akimba workshops is, is, is a bit more of a free experience, I, I, I feel. Well, whereas the underlying, or the underlying tension and fears are still there, there's still an element of agency and, uh, and autonomy that I feel is of a, different, of a different sort than working with those that are inside of a you know, a, a company or, or, a, or a corporation. And I say that though, a bit tentatively, because more often than not, the way in which leaders inside of an organization hamper or hinder themselves is through a belief of how things are supposed to be done, uh, you know, conscious or unconscious rules that they... And by unconscious or unconscious, I mean ones that the, the company creates or ones that they create for themselves because they think the company is, is creating them. And that has them feeling, you know, disenfranchised, you know, they're losing their autonomy, you know, not, uh, you know, not, um, uh, not able to succeed or thrive in which the way they want to. And some companies just aren't for you. And, you know, you just have to, and if that's the case where, where you're feeling that or you make that determination, you just need to, you know, just give them a graceful nod and then, uh, you know, and be along your way. But, you know, but more often than not, I found that you have to get over yourself in kind of a, a different way than you would if you were an autonomous, uh, you know, entrepreneur or a freelancer or, you know, a bootstrapper uh, individual. But there, there's still a lot of those, you know, a lot of those, you know, same fears that still come into play and those same barriers uh, and, and roadblocks. So 
it's it's like a different shade of I don't know it's a different shade of red I guess but mm-hmm. it's still it's still kind you know it's still kind of red and so part of the work that I do is to help shake up and create tension and to help uh, uh, shake up the perspective and create some colliding perspectives of our learners um, in terms of how they go about their work and why they go about it in you know in a, in a certain way and help set up a, a perspective of challenge and support so that way they can become better leaders themselves. Mm-hmm. So I want to build on this point of uh, connecting, like if I'm an employee in a corporation or any business, I can still be a self-directed learner. I can leverage yes. the tools I have, the programs available, of course, you know, within the, let's say, the corporation, the business I work. I can also uh, leverage external tools that they are available, like the, you did, you know, your, you decided to pursue the coaching on your own and you funded yeah. that. So there's different ways, but there is a point that learners can get, again, own their journey. It doesn't matter where we work or what kind of work we do, we can still own it. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And there's no choice. There's no choice really, it seems like to, but to own your journey. Um, a, a An activity that I like to do with any kind of leaders, what, no matter what level they are within the organization, is just to have them pretend that their most important constituent runs into their office. And I don't, that could be anything from the CEO or the, the CHRO or, you know, anyone. They run into their office and say, Maria, I need your help with blank. Can you come up with a plan? Not necessarily a, a plan to execution, but just a skeleton plan to help me with, with X problem as quickly as possible. Then I ask, what would those problems be? What would they come into your office and want to talk to you about? What would they come into your cube and want to talk to you about? I'll bet you if I give you five minutes, you would come up with a list of those, of those different things just from your own imagination, just from your own intuition and the way in which you, you pay attention to the business or just as a callback to what you and I were talking about earlier, if you don't know, who would you talk to to find out? So by doing that, and then what's stopping you? I'm reading the book, uh, uh, Setting the Table by Danny Meyer, the incredible restaurateur right now. And, and his, he has a, a mantra that is, whoever wrote the rule. So whoever wrote the rule, you know, whoever wrote the rule that blank is his mantra. Well, in this situation, whoever wrote the rule that you have to wait for somebody to run into your office and say there's a fire for you to perk up your antenna and go sniffing around for smoke. Mm -hmm. And then you're able to put out the fire before it even starts. And then you leverage yourself as somebody through your responsibility, through your own agency, through your own initiative as somebody who does things like that. And wouldn't it be cool to do more of that? You have just set up something for yourself uh, in that way. I love that you brought together two things that I I talk a lot, like the self-directed learning and the problem solving. For me, they are almost the same thing. <laughs> like you right. know, because you are basically learning how to solve a problem. And as you said, and you said a very nice example, if you don't know, you go and find out how to figure it out. <laughs> Right, exactly. I mean, you're you're a podcaster and nobody told you to go be a podcaster. You told yourself, I'm going to go be a podcaster. And you did your research or you reached out to people to find out what kind of mics to use and how to set it up and what what kind of software to use and 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 you had to come up with yourself, Maria, the problem that you wanted to solve with, you know, with your podcast. And I mean, I just I applaud you and I have I I really am just, you know, standing in admiration for this wonderful work that you're doing. Yes, but it's also, I'll tell you, it's also a way for me to talk with people that I want to learn from. 
So I, I really am interested in the future of learning. So I want to understand it. Now I have a tool, I have a platform that I can invite people like yourself and the guests and I can learn from you and I can have a very in-depth discussion. So it's, it's like, how, how can I possibly reach out to all these people that I want to connect and learn from and also build a relationship, you know, like so connect with them really um, on a good level? How can I do that? And that was a very, that is a very nice tool. So it's a ongoing learning every day, every discussion. But it's, it's a way of, okay, how can I actually reach the people that I want to learn from? Oh, it's wonderful. And we learn from you as well. And thank you so much for, uh, for, for this wonderful platform that you've created for us. What advice do you have for a college student who hasn't decided yet what she or he wants to do after college? I would have them think about what does their best work look like and reflect upon those times in which they felt that they were that they were doing their best work and felt that they were most engaged what were they doing who were they serving what were they doing it for and what were they and what were they hoping to achieve i would tell them to do this independent of fields or industry i would have them uh uh You'd be very kind of creative and dream about, uh, you know, those, those times and ways in which, uh, they would, they had make it made an impact and how they would like to, how they would like to make an impact and, you know, really focus on who, who or what they want to make better and who they want to become in the process of doing that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Beautiful. What is the one thing that you would like to leave your mark on within your lifetime? Mm. Um, I would like to leave my mark on the idea that corporations are here to serve society, not society serving corporations. And this notion that it's sexy to be anti-corporate. And, you know, you, you see the, the pictures on Instagram and they're saying, Hey, look at me. I'm, you know, I'm working today and it's the toes on the beach with the, you know, with yeah. the, you know, with the ocean or, or, you know, or sea um, in the background. And, you know, I think it's, it's the double-edged swords of, it's the double-edged sword of, of where we are today, uh, you know, as a society where corporations have made things so much better for us, you know, that that's the benefits of the industrial revolution, but there are also some ways, there are also ways in which they've you know, they, they have harmed us. And how can we evolve ourselves so that way we can help corporations evolve into the type of, uh, of organizations that are good stewards for the planet, good stewards for society, good stewards for the, for the economy, and are, are making the world a, a better place. I know it sounds very cliche to say, mm-hmm. but, but if, if I could put my stamp on, on anything, it would be that. And, and the, the type of professional that is needed to navigate the, the large organization and, and to do so with, with, with aplomb, with graciousness, with understanding, with some determination and, and a bit of a temerity and moxie uh, in, or, in order to, to be that positive deviant that helps, uh, that helps it evolve, you know, that, that gene mutation, if you will, that helps it evolve um, to a place that is going to be that, that makes it better. Mm-hmm. As individual, like um, citizens, I guess, of the world, how can we contribute to to this cause you just talked about? I think I, I think what it is is 
it's being conscious and mindful uh, in terms of where you spend your money and why and why you spend your money, who you give attention to and don't and don't give attention to. Uh, and, and I think that that's that now is I mean, you talk about the commodity that is money and then the commodity that is time. And now the, the commodity commodity of attention is just. It, 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 that's the most power, powerful commodity out there right now. And you look at everything is vying for your, for your attention. I mean, you look at Netflix, which is spending like $11 billion. I think, I think that's the, the figure I could be wrong on, on content. And there's just, there's so much content, you know, there's so much content out there and all that content is there for is to try to vie for your attention. And by taking a step back and asking yourself, how is engaging with blank helping me be the person I want to be is a very, very powerful question to, you know, to, to engage with because there can be absolutely no limit in terms of the, of the things to engage with, but isn't helping you do anything. It isn't helping you become anything. And I think that that's, I think that that playing with that, with that kind of uh, question is going to, is going to help us, turn our attention to the areas of our lives and our society where we need to, where we need to turn them. And that's where the engagement is going to come from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have a lot more power than we think and we can exercise it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That the, the power, the agency, the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the understanding. And, and I would even say too, Maria, that the, we, we even have more energy than we think. I remember when I took, uh, I'm going back to Seth's Akimbo workshops. I took the alt MBA at the same time where I, when I was coaching the, the marketing seminar, I have never in my life been so exhausted and I have never in my life been so emotionally and intellectually stimulated. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a feeling to, to be honest with you, that's a feeling that I'm, I'm continuing to chase. I want to find that, that, that feeling again just staying up so late at night, you know, engaging with students in the seminar and then having worked on an all MBA assignment and waking up, you know, four hours later and saying, Oh, I could have done that assignment so much better. And then, yeah. you know, writing out a better assignment. It's, it was, it, it's, it, it was, it, it was just glorious. It was just glorious. And, uh, and that's, that's something that I, I want to uh, continue to pursue. Mm -hmm. Before I ask my final question, is there any topic related to your learning and development work, your coaching work that we we haven't talked about? I attended a workshop last week that was just transformational. It was on uh, vertical development. Have you heard of vertical development? Tell us about it. Okay. It's, it is Nick Petrie and his his partner uh, Carl Sanders Edwards are are working to popular you know kind of working to popularize this and it's based upon uh, it's based upon a couple of things but there there are these these notions of what's called action logics it's a the uh, academic work of Suzanne Cook Gruder and Bill Torbert on the way in which individuals operate in complex environments okay and and it, it's a stage model and and there's total there's flaws and in stage models, but if you can put, you know, the flaws of stage model theory uh, aside and just pay attention to these different, these different stages, but it, you, you come to see that, that different learning experiences might not hit on and, and be powerful and resonant for particular individuals if they are, if they are not in, in the right learning stage. Okay. And when it comes to the design of the experiences, uh, there, there are three elements that they've found to be very powerful in helping, in helping to 
uh, assist individuals in, in growing is number one, heat experiences. Not heat like it's too hot, not, not necessarily, you know, dig this ditch faster, but the ones where you say, oh, you know, the oomph experience is like, whoa, there's a lot of emotional labor tied to this particular experience. Number two, conflicting perspectives. So put, setting up an environment where people are not looking at the problem in the same way, they're looking at it differently or from different angles and what, what have you, these, these different cons, uh, conflicting perspectives that I go back to my film training where, uh, um, uh, oh gosh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the director, famous uh, Russian uh, director, um, but I want to say Eisenstein, I think that's the wrong way, but you take the, the thesis and the antithesis and they clash together for the, for the synthesis. That's what you're, what you're looking to do is to create a, a series of new synthesis. And then finally, you have the reflection intentional powerful reflection as a part as a part of the uh, the learning experience so within the framework of the action logics and with these three elements heat experiences conflicting or colliding perspectives and uh reflection you're able to create some wonderful uh leadership development and learning experiences for you know for others and so this is i'm i'm just uh you know, a neophyte on this journey, but that's something that I'm really interested in looking to uh, expand my repertoire in, and I would encourage others to, uh, to do so as well. Thank you for sharing. I see that uh, throughout our discussion, and I hear that throughout our discussion, how you, you constantly explore new learning opportunities, new places, like new areas that you don't know a lot, and you are getting yourself into that and try to learn more and, and get more experience. I see that throughout your, you know, your, your journey, which is beautiful because that's how, that's the self-directed learning and development and building our, you know, path and our career forward. Where can our listeners find more about you and your work? Uh, for uh, for right now, um, you can find me on LinkedIn, and uh, I'm going to be launching uh, my website. I, I I'm going to be launching my website soon, intentionalprofessional.com. Um, if you have an Alexa device, if you ask it, and I have one behind me, and I think it just turned on. Uh, if you ask it to uh, to play your career minute. You will hear a one-minute uh, career snippet from me that will that just gives a, a one-minute or less piece of career advice or guidance or something to think about, a powerful question, um, and uh, you know, with the goal of helping you kind of enhance your career and your career perspective. So, uh, uh, so check that out as well. Beautiful. Always doing something new. Trying. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Travis. It was such a pleasure to have this conversation with you, learn more about your learning, your development, and of course, your work as a coach. Thank you again. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Here are my two takeaways from my discussion with Travis Wilson. First, his career journey through academia, corporate, private sector, and online workshops has made him the experienced educator that he is today as he continues to coach and develop students from all walks of life as well as senior level professionals. Second, Travis put people in the center of everything he talked about during our conversation. I think his ability to understand and connect with humans on such a deep level is rooted in his diverse professional experience and a broad skill set that he has been sharpening and repurposing along the way. If you enjoy listening to Impact Learning, please leave us a review on iTunes to help people like you find this podcast. 
You can also subscribe and never miss an episode. And if you have friends and loved ones who would be interested in this episode, please share it with them. Thank you. And remember, we can talk about learning, we can design it, or we can do both. This is Impact Learning. I'm your host, Maria Zenidou. Till next time.